Hi everyone, welcome back to A11 Crypto. Uh, today we are going to have a very interesting discussion on the insurance space in DeFi and crypto in general. And we have a special guest. So Lucius currently is working at CoinGecko, but he has a uh, background in actuary science as well as in insurance. Actually, a, a, a quick funny story. Uh, me and Lucius actually we actually met through uh, Nexus Mutual uh, community, uh, and uh, um, I'm very happy to have him because he recently put out a thorough, deep dive into the idea of insurance uh, adoption uh, challenges and uh, looks at the prominent projects within the space. So before we dive into the details, uh, so Lucius, why don't you give us a, maybe a, a little uh, walkthrough, you know, how you got into crypto, uh, what drew you in, and uh, just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, sure. So hi, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Lucius. So currently I'm working as a market research analyst in CoinGecko. So basically, uh, I get into crypto basically in my last year of uni. Uh, so basically, I was introduced at first by my friend that is trading XRP. <laughs> so I actually traded Ripple as my first coin. Yeah. Then then slowly, I get to learn more about Ethereum and Bitcoin. And I went through, uh, started the journey in roughly 2017. So So I was there during the bull and I was lucky to be early throughout the bull and but then I didn't catch out you know <laughs> like like most people and I actually get to experience the three year I think it's two to three year long bear market but because of my background in finance uh, especially uh, actuarial science uh, basically actuarial science is a study to uh, basically on how to calculate insurance pricing and reserve so basically, we learn a lot about the finance stuff, mathematical stuff. So so I actually have uh, some knowledge on how the central banking works and stuff. So, but even then, yeah, uh, basically open up uh, yourself to Bitcoin actually takes some time <laughs> to, to really understand why we need Bitcoin. Yeah, but I'm glad that I stick around and, and I get to basically experience another bull run this time. And and I was lucky that due to my background, so I get in, in touch with Nexus Mutual Project quite early on because of my insurance background. So yeah, I just naturally get interested in what is DeFi insurance. So that really put me uh, ahead. And yeah, and since then, it has been a great journey of the DeFi uh, boom. And now we have an NFT boom going on. Uh -huh. And and so basically, uh, during this boom, I realized that, you know, uh, it might be time for me to, to dedicate myself full-time into crypto. Uh -huh. So basically, I've spent much more time looking at crypto rather than doing my work, you know. <laughs> so I realized that, that, that there's a sign. And then I'm glad that, you know, I, I, I'm a Malaysian, so I work in Malaysia. Then I'm glad that CoinGecko is actually here, uh -huh. that, that I'm quite lucky to actually uh, make a switch even during the COVID-19. Yeah, so this is only my third month in CoinGecko. But yeah, I've, I've released... Uh, basically a deep dive on the insurance. And I hope uh, those that actually read it will find it useful. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very useful. Um, you know, uh, be actually, before we get into it, I have one question about your background, right? So you study this space with XRP, right? Uh, I mean, we, we all start somewhere. It's okay. Uh, but when, <laughs> when the boom was happening in 2017, right? I mean, you, you come from insurance background. So, you know, you were actually working for an insurance company uh, back at the time. How did you think about the risk you were taking right because you mentioned you didn't cash out right i mean wh how did you manage the risk and how wh what has changed since that day 
Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, I find it interesting that insurance is actually a study about how to manage risk properly. And we actually, yeah, it's a study involving uh, basically uh, projecting the cash flow even as long as 30 years to 50 years, you know, because uh, we calculated pension and all those life insurance as well. So it's interesting to me about investment in the sense that, you know, how, how do you take care of your risk? Like, like, like what, what, what do you do with it? But, but what I find interesting is, yeah, I mean, studying and basically working for it is a different thing when you are actually having money in it, you know, like, you know, you, you, no matter how much you read and uh, how much people actually warn you about managing your emotion during investing. Yeah. But when your money is there and, and when you see everyone around you getting rich and richer every day, <laughs> You just can't help but to have a feeling of FOMO a little bit. <laughs> uh -huh. So that that was, yeah, basically I started on because my friend keep on uh, boasting about how much gain he has on the XRP. So I think like I might as well just try it out, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean that really get me into it at least. Yeah, so I still find it lucky that yeah, <laughs> I did get into it. So yeah, even back there, I mean, there, there's a lot of information gap. So, so similar to every asset class like equity, like bond, so crypto, I believe, is a distinct asset class and you really have to spend time, like deep dive and learn about it to actually know what you are buying. Yeah. So before that, you are basically just speculating. I mean, most people do that. So it's fun to see the number up, but when, when it goes down, you have no idea what's going on. So Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but basically, uh, I started out quite early, so it's more like, yeah, I'm still young. So the way I manage my risk is, Basically, I know that, you know, even, even, yeah, so I, I basically, uh, I didn't leverage. So, so I'm, I'm a person that doesn't really, it's not comfortable of using leverage. So, and I don't trade that frequently. So for me, even if I lose everything that I put in crypto, you know, I, I'm still fine. Yeah. So I just keep it that way. So when the bear market dropped down, I mean, I do feel very disappointed and yeah, I mean, like you, you feel sad, but in a way it doesn't really affect my life too much <laughs> per se. So, so that, that's my way of, you know, uh, keeping sane, you know, like <laughs> manage to still being excited about the industry without being affected too much emotionally about the price drawdown. So I think everyone should really, really think thoroughly on how much they can afford to lose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this industry is very cyclical, So there's a huge up and huge down. Yeah. <laughs> so do prepare for that. I do believe, you know, it's not impossible to say that, you know, Maybe we are we are we are going to have another down round soon. But yeah, things might change. This time might be different. But it's always good to be prepared. At least that's what I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, what I found very interesting about your article is that you have this very simple four quadrant chart, right, to do with probability and impact. So maybe walk us through about that particular chart you have, right? So you have high probability, low probability, high impact, low impact. How do people think about this, right, in the crypto space? Yeah, so basically, uh, I find that quadrant of risk is, is very interesting. Yeah, because basically, people keep on asking, like, do do we really need insurance? You know, like, like so so the quadrant actually split it up in, in the term of uh, uh, probability of having a certain bad event and the impact of that bad event. So if it's high probability of getting it, and it's a high probability of, uh, it's a high impact. So basically you should avoid it, you know? <laughs> I mean like, yeah, you should avoid it something like you, you shouldn't just cross the road without looking at the car or something like that. So it's a high probability that you will get hit and you will die. So you should probably avoid it. But but if it's a, so for insurance, 
So we are actually ensuring the events that have low probability, but when it happens, it has a very high impact. So this goes towards the, you know, like the rare accident, the rare car accident, the rare catastrophe, you know. I mean, in crypto, basically now we are, we are, we are insuring hacks. So Nexus Mutual basically insure the smart contract hacks of the protocols. So it might be arguable whether they are actually low probability because it seems like we are, we are keep on seeing headlines about hacks and how much money they have lost. Mm-hmm. But actually in the insurance sense, uh, there's a there's a key there's a key component here where we make sure that whatever we are insuring is actually low probability. So in a way, uh, you have to prove your loss. So so basically, a lot of time, all these events, all the headlines, if you really further read through it, and if you wait uh, longer for the team to actually help to settle the issue, most likely they will manage to uh, cover some part of the fund mm-hmm. or maybe the hacker get cold feet and then they actually return part of the fund as well. Yeah. So so ultimately, I mean, there's actually very little users that's actually get affected. Mm. But of course there are, yeah. But but so in reality, the, the losses that uh, experienced by the crypto industry by hacking is actually still quite low probability in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But But when you get a hack, so basically it's a high impact because yeah, most likely maybe a huge amount of your money is going to get wiped off. Mm-hmm. So insurance is there in a sense that we are, we are actually uh, mutually uh, insuring the risk, meaning that we are, we are assuming that as long as everyone that is in the DeFi space contribute a small amount to an insurance pool, then when something bad happens, we are able to, you know, uh, make sure a small part of the participant actually uh, remain intact, you know, in terms of wealth. And this is good for the whole industry because this actually promote more cautious risk-taking. <laughs> so basically, we want people to try out these protocols, right? We want people to take the risk. But if people are thinking that, you know, like they might lose a huge amount of money, then maybe they are not comfortable of doing it. It's basically the same thing as institutional capital. So, so if they are going to deploy like millions and billions of capital into the industry, you can't expect them to be comfortable of, you know, maybe one hack will wipe them off. Mm. So this is just too much risk. So insurance basically would be there to make sure that when something rare like the hacking happened, and I mean, I mean, we, we, we as an industry will be able to compensate them. Then this will encourage more people to actually come in and join our, our party, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think yeah, insurance is very important in this. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think a good way of, um, you know, uh, think about this is that, you know, if you, I mean, we're in crypto space, right? People here love love high high, high APY numbers, right? So if you are about to ape into some sort of uh, liquidity mining, um, the only thing that's going to really hold you back is that what if you put your money in there and you got hacked, right? You lose everything. So it's sort of binary, right? You, you, you don't, um, it's not like uh, if everything get hacked, you somehow... Uh, retain your funds, right? So uh, the, the role for that to happen is actually insurance, right? So if you actually have a very um, uh, long, long fat tail event that, that can ruin you, um, but the chance of that happening is really low, uh, if you can transfer that risk to someone else, uh, aka insurance protocol, um, whilst you are able to uh, take advantage to the upside, or aka meaning that you get the APY return, that would be the perfect setup for you, right? Uh, whether that's traditional finance or, or, or crypto, it's just the way to approach risk. 
Um, I mean, I think it's like you know, every time when a poker player a poker set plays a hand that's worth one million, but they have insurance. In term, if that if they go broke, somebody else will pay. They will take that all day long. Um, depending on the price of insurance, of course. But uh, yeah, I think this is really good to think about it, right? Um, you know, on on the other hand, if you have a you know um high frequent uh probability of something happening uh that has very low impact, you know, maybe you get a paper card or something, right? That that's just fact of life, right? You you sort of live with it, accept it, right? Um, so I think insurance feels uh feels a very important role, right? In Helping people really manage risk, but managing risk is not just you know lowering your risk, but it's also about optimizing your return. I think people people think about managing risk like you know being conservative. Actually, I think it's very nuanced, right? It's it's not just uh, taking risk off table. It's about um, shaping your risk profile in such a way you still have exposure to the upside, but you are covered on the downside, right? That's the uh, optimal setup for a lot of people. Um, and and in your in your uh, in your article, you went into um, to look at uh, quite a few different projects, but they, there are a few prominent ones, right? Um, and you mentioned uh, Next Neutral. Uh, Next Neutral, actually, you are still a community member, I believe, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. still actively yeah looking at their governance. Yes. Yeah. So so tell us a bit more about you know what do you think? What makes Next Neutral the leading player, right? What are some of the aspects that makes it uh, the the I guess the most adopted, or or the uh, most usable product currently. Yeah, so currently Nexus Mutual is the leading, I mean, uh, DeFi insurance provider by a large margin, and and so so I believe one of the key factor is they 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 are just simply the first one. You know, <laughs> sometimes the first mover advantage is just too strong. Hmm. So. Basically, the the founder has started to do this project. I believe in around twenty nineteen. I mean, so he has been working on this for one year plus before the DeFi summer actually started. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you really go back to the history, I mean, like he he basically used his own fund to fund his uh, endeavors in this, and then he said multiple times that he 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 is very close to giving up on this, and I'm glad he didn't. But yeah, yeah, that's how difficult it is. Like you. I think very few people actually predicted that there's going to be a huge cycle for DeFi. Mm -hmm. So before that, the funding is actually not that strong. I mean, like not much people actually believe that this can take off. So basically, it was just there when this take off, you know, like that's the only insurance provider available around. And and just because of that, it has, it has a significant lead in the beginning. And, and insurance... No matter you you cut it off into a P2P, you know, sharing economy or even crypto, it's, it's a very capital intensive industry. Mm. So you need a certain amount of capital to start underwriting a certain amount of risk. Mm -hmm. So how do you get that initial capital is very, very important. So Nexus Mutual basically had a head start on, on a huge amount of capital now, mm. just because they are the first. Yeah. And, and, and because of that, they are able to uh, ensure much larger risk and because of that, they are more likely to get higher amount of premium in revenue. So it's more like a flying effect, a flying view effect where, you know, you have the capital first and then you're able to, you know, insure more risk. And because of that, you have more premium and you are able to offer more product. So it just get on and on. And of course, having having a real actuary on the on a team actually helps, like like really helps to, to give confidence on, the, the fact that, you know, we are still early in this and so whether or not the insurance pricing is right and whether or not the reserve 
will be enough, you know, to, to actually cover the losses. So at least for me, yeah, the, the fact that there's an actuary, there are few actuary on Nexus Future team is actually very reassuring. And you'll be surprised to see how many projects doesn't even have that. So so I'm not even sure whether, you know, like you can you can simply uh, depend on their math with or something, but you you know, a lot a lot of us don't know enough, right, about how to how much yeah. uh to, to price the insurance and reserve. So I think even even the profession the real world professional is actually very helpful in this sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and even though it's they are slow. But I'm assuming that a lot of people think insurance is a boring industry. So that's why it's actually it actually took me by surprise that there were no competitors for like even after DeFi summer. It's like it takes like almost half a year to have cover coming up. So like I, I believe a lot of team when they decide to enter DeFi, like the software engineers when they decide to come up with something to capture the hype, mm-hmm. insurance most likely is their is their last option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's more likely less interesting than you know making an exchange, making a derivative, or even making a lending protocol, you know, insurance is just too boring for them. And, but insurance is a very big business in the real life. Yeah. As you can see that, you know, one of the biggest companies is actually Berkshire Hathaway, which the core business is actually offering insurance. Mm-hmm. It will be surprising how profitable is that. So from the way I see, yeah, I, I still believe that, you know, insurance will become a dark horse in basically becoming one of the main pillar in DeFi, but it, like 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 real life, but it might take some time and sooner or later people will realize how uh important uh this product is and as of now I think I think <laughs> the fact that there's a lack of competitor and even 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 the new competitors that's coming up they're they're taking a long time to actually release their product. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so even recently, yeah, there's only Unslash Finance and even Angel just came up today, I believe, on mainnet mm-hmm. after a whole long period of beta version. So so they are just not much competitors. So basically, yeah, Nexus Future, yeah, either you call it lucky or what, but they're they are there. They are the only player. Yeah. You know, the the only reasonable player. So I think so that that's why they maintain their lead and and Armor really does help as well. So there's an armor protocol that actually help them. Like so, Nexus Mutual started out as a mutual that require a KYC process to to buy the insurance. And because of armor, they are able to. Is is armor basically is like an insurance broker. So you are basically able to buy the Nexus Mutual insurance through them without using KYC. So that actually helps a lot. So so armor really, you know, they launched within just a few months. They already constitute like seventy percent of the cover volume. In Nexus Future, so that that's really strong growth that's contributed by Armor. Yeah, I think there are a few a few important things that people should uh, pick out from your from what you just said. Um, I think one of them is uh, the funding team, right? Um, I think there are a lot a lot projects or areas in DeFi where you don't have to have um, industry expertise, but def uh, but insurance is one of them. You do need industry expertise, right? Because it's all about pricing insurance, right? Uh, managing your reserves um, and uh, knowing also how to distribute, right? Like I think you mentioned armor, right? I, I think this is another, another thing that's really important is that armor is li- essentially an you know, distribution channel, right? For, for Nexus Mutual, right? It makes it easier than um, without it, right? Because for people who may not know this, so Nexus Mutual uh, is, is not an insurance company, right? It's, it's a mutual. So you can only participate in it if you are a member, which requires KYC, right? And for a lot of people who are familiar, well, crypto native, right? Nobody likes KYC. So 
what happens is that you know in, in order for you to participate through next mutual you have to hold the nxm tokens right but that requires uh, uh, kyc so there is another version called wnxm which is a wrapped version and this one is free floating and does not require kyc um you, you can buy buy this uh, like you buy any other tokens on exchanges right um and so what happened was that um i think a lot of the uh NXM, um went to the free floating uh, wrapped version right so in order for the mutual to have sufficient capital to underwrite risk um to to basically cover risk cover uh, people's needs right you gotta have you gotta have these uh, NXM as a backstop, as a staking capital, right? In the in the in the mutual, in order for it to underwrite it. But because a lot of it is being converted into wrapped version, and these cannot participate in the in the in the protocol go in governance, uh, what happens is that all of this is, is is just out there, not doing much, right? So Armor came along, and um, they um, basically build i guess this vault right uh, with functionalities where you can stake your wnxm and then this gets unwrapped and then goes back to nxm gets staking right and um you know a lot of the other projects that i that i know of or, or spoken to in the insurance space um i think a lot th this they struck with a lot of things they struck with on a lot of things that i that i think nxm may be struggling too but they just struggle more because they don't have insurance background right a lot of these guys mm -hmm. are doing predictions market right like uh, you know I, i'll let you walk us through you know what's the difference between a predictions market uh product like you know cover and and, and how does that compare to uh, nxm yeah sure so basically yeah it's an insurance so so basically how we manage to offer you know a, a, a reasonable premium while being able to you know earn profit for the company itself is 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 actually that we we are leveraging you know the 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 basic assumption is that like i say you know we are insuring risk that is supposed to be low probability yeah they are not supposed to happen frequently so so because of that we are we are able to you know basically bet on the fact that you know using for for example a hundred dollar of capital we are able to insure maybe up to 1k worth of risk mm. And now, now Nexus Mutual has just supported up to 15x leverage, meaning with a hundred dollar of capital, we are able to insure 1.5k worth of risk. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a very important, you know, uh, fund foundational aspect in making sure that the insurance is actually uh, sustainable. The price is sustainable, and then it's, it's reasonable to be bought. To be bought. Mm -hmm. But how prediction market works is that. You know, it's, it's basically a yes and no situation. So so after you, you create an event, you're basically saying that will this event happen? And then because of that, you have a payout ratio. So if it's a yes, then how much you are supposed to pay out? And if there's a no, then how much you are supposed to pay out? Mm -hmm. So this is basically the cover model. So on the prediction market model, so basically when you have $100 of risk, $100 of capital, you're only able to insure maximum up to $100 of, you know, insured event because that's just how it's getting created you know this is how it's getting uh, modeled so because of the lack of capital efficiency so the insurance that actually sold by cover protocols are very expensive so for example you know like yeah for a similar protocol they might be offering like you know up to 30 percent cost for a year but in nexus mutual you can buy it as low as two percent right. a year 
So, so there's a huge difference of capital efficiency right here. So even though it's an insurance, but if, if you are too expensive, then no one will buy it. So, so up until today, yeah, the cloud protocol uh, adoption is very low mm -hmm. and they are finding ways to improve it. But I think, yeah, the, the model might need some innovation that is required to, re to, to reduce the price. Yeah, but up until today, yeah, it's still not much significant innovation on that side. Yeah, so basically that's the main difference. Basically it's capital efficiency. Yeah, yeah. So essentially it's like, you know, if I if you and I both agree to make a bet, right? You betting on I don't know whether tomorrow will be sunny, I betting on it will be cloudy, right? And we agree that yeah. you know each one of us will, will will put up uh the, the pot that is 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 hundred dollars, right? There yeah. has to be a hundred dollars in the pot in order for us to going into this bet, right? Otherwise, you know, we, we can make the bet, but there's no money in there. So what's, what's the point, right? That then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then the whole prediction market does not exist, right? So that's that's the key thing. Um, key, I guess, result of uh, working in, uh, using prediction market as insurance, right? Uh, functioning as insurance. So you have to have one-to-one -one coverage. Whereas if you are using a uh, insurance, uh, pool model, whereas, you know, if the probability of something happening is low, let's say 1% or 2% or 0.1%, whatever that number is, you know, if you, if you leverage this up to 10 times or 15 times, right, which is the case for next mutual right now, right, if you think about expected value, you're still making money, right, you still have positive expected value, so um, that's a key difference, and right now in in this space, in order for you to underwrite insurance, you're gonna have capital, like you said, right? And the more capital you have, the bigger the capital you have, the more risk you can cover, which is like a moat. And you know, um, the people who are putting money into this to take the risk to write the coverage, they won't return, right? So <laughs> if if I'm getting a two percent return on my money that's been locked there for six months, I might as well just put that into a bank, get a fixed mm. fixed rate, right? Um, savings account. But in, in crypto, obviously, it's not like that, right? So so what happens is that, you know, if you, for, I think for a lot of people, so so the, the way that uh, insurance companies or mutual make money is that it, it's the premium minus the cost, uh, minus the, I guess, the potential coverage, right? Um, uh, times the probability, right? That, 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 that's, that's your revenue. And if you leverage this up, you essentially can uh multiply your return right uh, on any single one protocol by 10 times 20, 15 times and that's a way you can attract capital um is that is that how it works is that, is that a good summary yeah 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 that's basically how it works so basically with a hundred dollar of capital you are able to write a 1500 worth of risk right so if you are charging two percent so basically now you are charging two percent of 1500 and that's basically you know is is a is a better return than just charging two percent on one hundred dollar yeah. Yep. Yeah. Massive difference. And, um, but 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 let's 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 walk back a little bit, right? B because w I think we're making NXM sound like a god right now. Uh, <laughs> but because because there are challenges, right? I think you know insurance in traditional finance, um, is has all been has all about you know being able to price things, right? And that has to do with data, right? You must have historical data in order for you to price this, right? But in crypto, we don't. So, so why don't we maybe talk about the challenges with with, with pricing here, right? I mean, NXM has a um, has a particular pricing formula, right, for determining the 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 the, the, the premium, and um, a, a lot of other protocols has has this market driven, you know, sort of like uh, 
token trading way of doing this, right? So, so what are the potential challenges for these particular pricing methods until we have data? Yeah, so basically the, the key challenges here is that, you know, like I said before, like how do you, how are you sure that, you know, the hacking or the risk that we are covering is actually low probability. There's, there's no certain way of uh, verifying that now because, you know, DeFi is just here for less than a year. Um, yeah, it's r roughly one year now, but yeah, it's still it's still very early and you can't really, we don't really have enough data. So in the traditional finances, what they do is they take multiple years of data up to 10 years, 30 years, and they come up with a model of predicting, you know, what is the payout ratio? Like what is the probability of getting a claim? But in, in here right now, so we don't have that data. So basically what Nexus Mutual do is just basically... Uh, now they just come up with some number, you know, they can do a simple modeling based on their own assumption, but that's very spurious, meaning that, you know, it's very weak, like they, they can just come up with any number, anyone can come up with any number. So, so it's, 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 it's reasonably reassuring to me that, you know, that there's a professional there, but, but at the same time, I know that, you know, there's a lack of data. So no matter how good they are, you know, there's a, still a chance that this might be wrong, you know, but uh, being said about that, you know, in a, even in a traditional world, we, we actually do ensure a lot of unknown risk. Mm -hmm. So, for example, like, even if you are insuring catastrophe, like, it's, it's very hard to know exactly because, like, we still don't have enough data because it's like, how, how much catastrophe we have every single year? Maybe one, maybe two, but, like, even across 10, 100 years, there's still, like, what? Maybe 10 of them. So, yeah. it's still, it's still, it's still, but even then, you know, you still can buy insurance for those so how exactly it works is that you know it's the same thing so people actually come up with a pricing and then when a bad thing happened they reinsure it you know the insurance company will sell insurance to you and the insurance company also think that oh it might be too big of a risk you know to cover the whole catastrophe so they will buy another insurance with a reinsurer you know there's a bigger global pool of capital that will offer that so if a really bad if a really bad catastrophe happened in America, so basically the reinsurer will be like, you know, I'm paying for America, but you know, but the other part of the world is not getting it. That kind of thing. So if you're a local insurer in America, you are able to buy a reinsurance from a global pool of capital. So now in the in the crypto world, we are still lacking of that, meaning there's no reinsurer that's actually willing to offer us the reinsurance. Right. So, so there's a big challenge, but Nexus Mutual is, is working on that to actually get reinsurance to make sure that if really something, uh, you know, the industry-wide event from uh, happening, they're still able to pay out the claim. So because of that, we need to tap into the global version of, you know, insurance capital. But that's why they are registered in UK as a mutual, because if you are not registered, it's very hard to convince the traditional capital from supporting you. So there's there's a very huge reason on why they decide to actually register as a mutual in UK, and from the way I see, if they are if this is another insurance project that doesn't have any licensing, you know, like even as a mutual, so it, it's very hard for them to actually assess, you know, extra capital from basically the traditional world. Yeah, so so basically now the big uh, issue is basically how 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 are you supposed to make sure the pricing is uh, sustainable and how are you supposed to tap into all this uh, reinsurance capital pool? And I think Nexus Mutual have thought about that and, and has been moving forward uh, quite well. But yeah, the challenges is still there and, and they can still be wrong, you know? And in the traditional world, so when the insurance company fail, 
your government will bail it out. So last time in during the financial crisis, uh, the insurance company AIG actually have a shortfall that's big enough to bankrupt the company, but the government step up, you know. So, so now we are still lacking that as well. So if, for example, just assume that tomorrow there's a big tech event, you know, on certain protocol, and it actually exhausts all the Nexus mutual capital. So no one for now will come out and help you. So maybe, you know, it's a good idea to maybe there's a way to uh, basically create an uh, DeFi industry, you know, insurance capital pool, you know, like that, that all of the player can tap into. But, but that requires significant coordination. So yeah, I'm excited to see where this will go. And I see there are certain ways of, you know, uh, mitigating this. So recently there's another project called Immune 5, basically. Okay. Project can set up a bounty, you know, a hacker bounty on the site, uh, Immune 5. So I think the idea is to convert, you know, the hacker rather than encouraging the hacker to actually hack your protocol for the money, you know, you give them a way to earn the money legally, you know legitly, you know, like reasonably, you know, you offer them a good enough bounty that, you know, when they found an exploit, they should claim the bounty rather than go and hack your protocol, you know. So I think it's still reasonably hard to wash money, you know, even after you manage to hack a protocol today, like how are you supposed to catch it out? And and I think this is a good start for them to basically, you know, encourage those hackers to become white hacker instead. And and from there, you know, the the overall risk of getting hacked should be lowered yeah and so so something i i um i'm not very clear on and i need your input is um i know there's a big reinsurance industry out there right and these guys reinsure the insurance company but what is economics right so insurance company gets the premium right now if they were to pay a higher premium for reinsurance why would they do that what, uh, first of all, do they do that? Is that how reinsurance works? Because, you know, somebody is selling me rigs that they don't want to hold. I'm probably going to charge them more than what they paid, right? Assuming that they mispriced it. If they didn't, they probably hold themselves, right? So how does that How does that work? How does, what's the relation between insurance and reinsurance? Yeah, so the idea is that, you know, like, like, like how the reinsurance company works, at, at least in the thread file, is that, you know, they are, they are local insurer, if you realize, you know, they are, they are most likely a medium-sized insurer that is, covering the risk of a local. So for example, if you're in UK, your UK insurer most likely only cover the risk in UK, right? But there's a there's a risk that, you know, if you're covering catastrophe risk of UK and then when a UK catastrophe hit, then as a single insurance company, you can't afford to pay the, all the claim. Mm -hmm. But how are you supposed to insure the whole risk, you know, the whole catastrophe risk of UK, right? So, so the reinsurer, basically the model is basically the same, just that they're operating on a more global level. So rather than just insuring a local space, geographical area, they are covering the whole world, right? They're covering, you know, for UK catastrophe risk, for US catastrophe risk, and for even the Asia catastrophe risk. So the idea is that they're splitting out the risk in different tranches. And then so the you will share the premium with the reinsurer. Right, so the reinsurer are supposed to accept different kind of catastrophes across the world, you know. Then, then you are sharing the premium with the local, all of the local insurer. So ultimately, the math still check out, you know. Like so, so basically, when a big event happen, you know, you are making sure that the local insurer doesn't get wiped off, and and then even as a global reinsurer, you don't get wiped off as well because you are accepting premium from 
all different kind of supposedly to be independent risk, meaning that you can't expect suddenly if the whole world is having catastrophe at the same time, yeah, then they will get wiped off. But if only one of the country get it, you know, it's still reasonably low probability that they are going to pay. Right. Yeah. Right. And how does how does this distribution work, right? So does it work? So obviously reinsurance reinsurance sounds like um they have the biggest pool of capital, right? And do these guys then go to every single country or or most countries and say, you know, for the fat tail events, right? We're gonna have a product where I can reinsure you, but you go sell the insurance product for me or for us, you and me, and we share the premium. How does it work? Yeah, so in the traditional world, it's a similar thing as other other industry where we have a lot of middlemen. So so the reinsurer do reach out to many insurance company across the world, but you know they don't have the people to do that. So they are relying on brokers. So insurance broker is a really big industry. So the biggest player are Aeon, you know, Marsh, and and even uh, some some smaller guy. Yeah, what's the name? Yeah, Aeon. Yeah, Aeon and Marsh, basically one of the biggest players. So basically, they are they are they are specialized broker, and then they are doing insurance consultant as well. So basically, they are the one they will reach out to the insurance company and help them to basically arrange a reinsurance arrangement and then they will reach out to every reinsurer across the world to see how they they can place it yeah that, that's how the traditional industry works but i can see that this model may be disrupted in the DeFi world where you are is this supposedly you know you're supposed to cut middleman <laughs> much more so maybe you know you will, you will see a reinsurer you know turning up in the DeFi <laughs> space soon but yeah but might, now might be too early to say that but yeah that's basically how the industry works yeah, because insurance insurance is actually a very opaque industry for people who are not in it. Um, I think I think even bank even banking is more more transparent than insurance to to me because you know AIG <laughs> right AIG went broke not because it underwrote some sort of risk it, it it was because it it was writing CDS right it was playing financial markets and it was selling these instruments that they cannot pay right um essentially and that's how it went broke. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, it's it's a similar thing. So so the idea is that you are insuring something that you are not is new. So back then, CDS is quite new when it first launched. So so it's it's reasonable to argue that you know like the fact that they don't know how much is 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 uh, how what is the right price. And then and then if you really read about the financial crisis, it's actually not just their fault. You know, it's a lot of parties' fault in the sense that they're basically pay, basing the price on the credit rating of the bond. Yeah. Right. So, but the bond is actually a collateralized debt obligation, you know, like the, basically is the mortgage, you know, the, the bad rated mortgage. And then, you know, you pull it together and then they thought that they are already averaging the risk and then you notch up a ranking. So for example, you are C rated bond, you are very risky, but then you pull a whole bunch of risky bond and then you thought that, you know, it's averaging out the risk and then you call it a B rated Mm-mm-mm. bond. And then you pull up all the B rated bond and you become A rated bond, you know. So it's, it's partly the fault of the credit rating agency as well. So after that, when they pull, 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 then it become a triple A bond where you assume that is the safest run, tranche of bond that you can buy. And when you buy a credit default swap on that, basically you're expecting that they are not going to get default. Yeah, Yeah, the interest rate is very low because you're supposed to be very safe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea is <laughs> the whole bad rated bond you know they get they get defaulted and then you know it's a cascade systemic effect where everything just falls you know it's like a domino effect yeah. so i think what DeFi is different today so i'm not yeah they, they, if you see in ethereum there are a lot of composable products 
Mm. You know, you are based on Yen Finance, you are based on Curve, and you use Uniswap LP token or, uh, all across the protocol, right? Seems like we are repeating the mistake of whatever that has been experienced before. But the key difference here is that last time, when a bond is rated AAA, you can't figure out what is the underneath collateral. Mm -hmm. Because in the middle, there are so many players that you have to go through one by one to actually know what is the underneath asset, right? Sure. But in DeFi, you actually have a reasonable, you know, simpler way to know what is the underlying asset, you know? That's the beauty of blockchain. Like, basically, you can, if you, if you have the knowledge, you can basically go to Easter Scan and you can, you know, deep dive into, like, what exactly are all these underneath collateral. So, in a sense, it's actually much more transparent. It's and because of that, yeah, I believe that the risk is actually very much mitigated in a sense. It's still very risky and, and if the event fall, there might still a domino effect, but I don't think it will be as catastrophic as what we have experienced before. Yeah. Uh, interesting, right? Like, like I, I, I do agree with you that I think things are more transparent, but because it's unchain, right? You, I mean, if you, if you, if you, uh, do the dig into it, you'll eventually find all the players, right? All the link within the chain, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But 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 I I'm not so sure about uh transparency equals less risk. Uh, obviously, I think this if there's less transparency, it's harder to price a risk, right? So pricing is more yep. likely to be wrong, but I'm not sure if more transparency equals to less risk because, you know, when these currently in 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 crypto, um, the name of the game is yield, right? Whoever provides the highest yield will get the most capital, and you know, as a protocol, your incentives to however you fold one onto another stack and stack, you get the most yield, right? But you have zero tools. You have zero tool to actually mitigate the risk, right? It's like I'm, I'm offering you this delicious, super triple charged sugar cone, right? You eat it. You might die from it, but it's it tastes really good, right? So I, I can tell you what's in it. But uh, you know, you as, as, as and another thing, right? M most normal user in DeFi has zero idea or pay no attention to this, right? O the only thing that they do is look at numbers, click a button, put money in. Uh, I don't know, yield farm, leverage it up, and 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 dump, right? Uh, or whatever that is, right? So, and 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 that's one thing in DeFi. I think it should be very very uh, interesting to to see how it develops. Like, in, um, what I mean is that I I would love to see. Uh, projects uh, that are making uh, sophisticated risk management tools, right, or 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 data tools, right, so that you can manage your risk. Uh, I I I guess you know to some extent there are some projects tackling this, right. But then you know I, I mean projects like Dual Analytics, right, they they do great visualization things, right. But I don't know which one is tackling this area. But I think you know in terms of insurance, right, like you know all of these insurance protocols. Um, you know, they so so, so again. Let, 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 here's another point, right? Is that the type of risk that's being short in DeFi are currently very limited, right? One is the smart contract hack risk, right? I think that's um, what most projects insure. Another one, I think, um, I mean, I I, I saw this at uh, Next Mutual um, is the uh, loss. Of, uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, unable to access your fund risk, right? Uh, that's what. Yeah, yeah. But you know, in order for you to price this, right? Not only do you have, you know, you, you have data on how how this works. Maybe you also need to understand data on, 
whatever that that particular hack ha happened, right? Like, was this on one of the underlying link protocols, or was it on, on something else, right? Uh, this is my two cents, right? I, I don't know. Um, what's your view there? Yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah. So there's an update on the Nexus Future part where they recently just rolled out the so-called they call it protocol cover now, rather than a smart contract cover. So so last time there's a few there's a few risks that we didn't cover. So basically, something like economic risk, you know, or bad design, you know, bad design of the protocol. So if you get hacked by that, you know, it's not essentially a smart contract hack because no one hacked you. You know, it's more like your design is flawed. But now we are actually covering that. So now now the insurance is actually much more comprehensive in a sense so, so kudos to the team to offer that now so if you're buying it now yeah it's essentially covering much more risk uh, attack attack vector but yeah like you say you know but but still they don't cover the composable risk right like you say you know there are so many protocols stacking on each other so and sometimes it's very hard to say who's at fault you know maybe the fault is the fact that you are stacking on each other <laughs> yeah but that's part of the beauty of the DeFi industry as well the, the fact that you can do that easily and and the way I see it is, yeah, like you say, so so a lot of people just basically, you know, enter a project now without actually, you know, looking at how much risk they are accepting. And when something goes wrong, you know, a huge part of the industry might get affected. And there are no there are no proper way of, you know, dealing with this right now, I would say. It is it's more towards the fact that, you know, I mean we do assume that, you know, whoever is in this DeFi industry right now, you know, you should be aware that you are you are early, you know, the whole space is still experimenting and if something goes wrong, you know, that's kind of expected. But, but yeah, so, so it's, it's, it's similar to a lot of new industry. So, so at first when you started out, you know, a lot of people just, you know, being reckless and they just try out a lot of things and because of that, we have new innovation and of course, some of them will experience loss. But before that, we don't know what can be done and what cannot be done. So in a way, it's still very difficult to say that you know, that's not the right way to do this. So, from the way I see, we will grow out of it. Meaning, you know, after all this hacking, we know that what can be done and what cannot be done. And sooner or later, we will have a much more stronger industry standard on how to build stuff. And, and we will have much more stronger, you know, risk assessment uh, framework outside there that, you know, the company should follow. So basically, the way I see it is DeFi is still very early in a, you know, we are in an innovation phase. Yeah. Right, so you someone must fail. <laughs> That's how I see. You know, like you have hundred new innovation, you just can't expect something doesn't go wrong, right? And then when something goes wrong, the only thing that we can hope is we are aiming to mitigate it. You know, that's why the insurance is there. It's not. It's not supposed to prevent you know bad thing from happening. It's supposed to make sure that even when bad thing happens, it can get mitigated, and then the industry can move forward. You know, rather than being annihilated totally, right? right. So. Yeah, we should encourage more innovation rather than trying to suppress it. That's how I see it. So, so after all these failures, you know, we will come up with a much better standard and, and more players will actually follow it. You know, like, like, for example, I think forking, you know, like so many projects forking from each other. So even though that you, you might say that, you know, that might introduce a, some sort of concentration risk because everyone is using the same code. But at the same time, you're actually promoting the same standard, right? I mean, if some contract really have stand throughout the time without getting hacked, yeah, it's a good thing that you actually copy it, right? I mean, at least that part of it won't get hacked. Yeah, the, the way I see it, yeah, we just have to let the time pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's part of the game, you know? If there's no risk, then the high APY, yeah, it won't be there. So so when there's a high APY, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of risk that you have to take. And 
It's just part of the game. And from the way I see how investing in DeFi works, it's very similar to VC. So, so you are basically democratizing the venture capital industry. So in a sense that now you are basically investing in early, very early stage company. Like many protocol are live less than a year. You know, right? They are, they are, they are doing something that, like you say, you know, they, are, they may not even be the professional, you know. Like we are not even sure whether, you know, whatever they release out there is workable, right? And you are just aping it because it's high APY. Then you should expect like a, we see investing that if you're investing in 10 protocols, you know, maybe 90 of them will fail and 10 of them will, you know, yield you like 100x or 200x of return. Yeah, so if you are not aware of that, yeah, then you will get, you know, you'll get a huge loss and sorry for that. But <laughs> but yeah, that's how this industry works right now. The fact that, you know, everything is risky and the, the fact that you have to just spread your bet. Uh, I love that, that, you know, you compare this to so VC type of uh, investing, right? Um, I mean, but, but here's another thing, right? Like, like a lot of people in this space, uh, I mean, unless you're an institutional VCs, obviously you can you can massively re massively reduce your risk right and i think this is somebody nobody talked somebody this is something that everybody knows the people who are in the in the know but nobody's talking about it you know if you get into a project at a you know at, at, at a let's say i don't know one cent right and you are massively deleveraged and, and you feel the first one in right and then when 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 the public comes in at, at five cents or ten cents, right? You are massively de-risked, right? And and that's the I think that's the biggest alpha right now in this game. Uh, that's the biggest alpha right now. People don't talk about it, of course, right? I think VC will keep it keep it secret, but this is how it works, right? And so like when when you are not a VC, right? And 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 you are playing on the secondary market, um, you know what 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 are some of some of you know things? How do you think of some of the the things um you know, related to putting money into secondary market? Yeah, so so now like like you say, you know, the the VC is still very much earlier than most of us, but but what people have to realize is is actually much better off. Like the current crypto condition is actually much better off than whatever we have access to, you know, before this. So for example, if you're buying equity on a traditional market, most likely you are buying it after it gets public listing, right? The IPO. There are already like way much rounds of VC investment before that. You know, like there are like ten years after the company is grown that only you can invest in it. We're actually much early right now, you know, like the fact that you can invest on it like quite early on, even though you still have VC in front of you, but still we are much, you know, in a much better position. Yeah, but of course, like a lot of project is trying to address this issue by basically saying, you know, fair launch and whatnot. But but it, we, we are getting there, you know, like we are getting less and less dependent on VC in a way. But yeah, there are still a lot of big projects that, you know, have the VC in and then, and then we, are, we are supposed to, only able to assess it, you know, at the secondary market. But but that's just how this is, you know, even the team, they require expertise, right? And they don't have all the knowledge. They need someone to lead them. And because of that, they, they offer them, you know, at a, their shares at a low, lower price, you know, or even for their knowledge that they, they are letting them in earlier, which is, I think is fair, you know. And sometimes the VC does help in this sense. So as for all of, you know, us, the common investor, you know, like most of us won't have time to really, deep dive into every project and to figure out, you know, whether or not something is worth investing, you know, at what price. So from the way I see is is either 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 you aim to become a trader, like like you really trade the momentum, or if you really become a fundamental investor in a sense, 
you know, it might be a good idea to choose an index. Like, <laughs> like, like I say, you know, like, like secondary market uh, is, is, you know, it's, it's very volatile. The crypto industry is very volatile. You know, some project can just die in one day. Some project can just pump 5x in another day. You know, like how, do you, how are you supposed to capture all of that? It's just too difficult. And the way I see it is, at least for me, you know, to, to maintain enough good sleep is that, you know, the fact that I just buy the some of the index token, right? So, so yeah, yesterday, yeah, so one of my colleagues has released uh, index index uh, report. And basically, yeah, I, I, I'm a huge holder, not huge. I mean, like part of my portfolio is on the DPI, you know, basically it's a DeFi index. And it just keep me, you know, saying like, you know, like as long as DeFi is going up, I mean, I'm reasonably exposed to it. And even if one of the project die, you know, suddenly, you know, it doesn't affect too much about it. Yeah, that's, that's how I see, you know, to play this game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, everything we said on this show is for entertainment purposes only and sharing our experiences. Nothing here is financial advice. I'm pretty sure Lucius would agree with that. Um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not financial advice. Yes. No, 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 not at all. Uh, do your own research. But um, I think it's important for people to, especially maybe for some people who are maybe newer, uh, to the scene to understand this right um i mean if you've been through the 2017 cycle you knew back in the days you know it was uh, it was some crazy uh crazy shit you know you you, you put your money in there's no, there's no lock up three weeks later <laughs> council market finance listing you know that that's sort of uh you know crazy crazy uh fun times right but now it's very different and um yeah and we're here just to uh bring you the the uh the updates and news on the market and, and our own experience. Um, I guess let's let's wrap this up, right? So so what are some of the things, interesting things you are seeing in crypto, in DeFi uh, currently? So in DeFi, uh, recently I found out about a project called Alchemix. So so I find, it, I find it very interesting, the fact that they are saying that you can get your yield earlier on. So basically you are supposed to, you know, uh, so for example, you, you have 100 die, you know, like, is, is like how in the real world works, right? But, but you don't want to reduce your capital, right? But you want to spend something, like you want to buy something today. So how are you going about that? So now there's an option of, you know, basically you stick your 100 die in the Alchemix and then you will get 50 USD, and then you can use the 50 USD to buy something straight away, right? Then the, then the protocol will actually take your 100 die and then stick it in the Yen Finance for Y die. And then supposedly the yield that you get from the wide eye will pay back whatever you are using today, right? So that sounds very interesting to me. So whatever they say is that you are borrowing without paying interest, you know? You're actually uh, basically borrowing earlier on. So the idea is that, you know, the wide eye return is supposed to pay whatever you are borrowed today, you know? So if you wait for a few more years, you know, you can get back your 100 die, you know, without, without any interest that you have to pay. So for me, that's a very interesting primitive in DeFi. And, and, and there's a lot of algo stablecoin recently that just, you know, that. So they are supposed to maintain their pack at $1, but you know, like something like ESD, DSD, or even, yeah, all the algo stablecoin has go down, like basis cash, you know, they have way, way deep pack, like they are go down to 0 0.2, $0.5. But recently there are a lot of algorithmic, new algorithmic stablecoin coming up. Something like, you know, the Faye protocol is launching today and, for alpha me, it's leak, interesting. Alpha leak alert. <laughs> yeah, the Faith protocol, and yeah, yeah, there's a own, and and there's a lot of so-called stable assets, like the Rye, and the and the yeah, and the and the float, you know, and the bank. So so it's more like everyone is trying to replicate central bank, you know, like they are they are all trying to be a central bank, you know. I just find it interesting that you know in real world, 
a lot of people doesn't understand that our government doesn't have the luxury of experimenting. So they can't just say tomorrow that I'm going to experiment something and if, you know, suddenly our money has lose huge amount of uh, 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 value, you know, I'm, I, I will say sorry and then I try another experiment. You just can't do that, you know. So sometimes it, it, it's very, so for me now, I, I, I understand that you, we can't just blame the government for not innovating because they are, they are not in a position to innovate, you know, like they can't just tell you that I'm going to play with your money, you know. But in DeFi, you know, that's happening every day. <laughs> Like there are so many monetary experiments going on that I just find it interesting, you know, the economy should join all this fun, you know, like they can just test out their theory in the, in the using real money, you know, like so many people are willingly spending our money to be a part of this global financial experiment, right? So that's what I think is the most interesting about DeFi, you know, all those theories are getting tested out. Of course, some of them, you know, will fail. Some of them will die. But, you know, the, the one that doesn't die is the one that is going to bring new innovation about financial uh, system to the world, right? And that, that's what makes these whole things, you know, worthwhile playing, yeah. One last question, right? Um, a lot of you talk about stablecoin. And um, what's, your, what's your view on, you know, BTC, ETH, or I think BTC is on, in separate bucket. And then ETH and other L1s may be in their own separate buckets, right? What's your view on BTC, L1s, including ETH? Yeah, so for me, uh, BTC, yeah, as a first, as the first cryptocurrency, you know, it is, it, it's, it's, I think, I think now the narrative, I mean, it's just, the narrative has changed quite a few times from becoming a currency, you know, to become to become something of medium of exchange, right? But for now, I think the one that stick on is actually the store of value, and then, and then now we are in a micro climate where people are actually, you know, think that you know BTC is a good alternative, right? Because you know, there's, there's way, way little uh, alternative to actually park your cash. Mm-hmm. So BTC is a good alternative. And I think in terms of that, personally, I think BTC is, is one of the, you know, it's already win the race, you know, like I don't think other coin can can actually aim to become a store of value per se. Mm-hmm. But but the one that's yeah, much more interesting, you might say, is the Ethereum, you know, where, where they try to be a decentralized version of the internet. You know, you're creating something that can't be shut down by any centralized entity, right? I mean, that, that, that's a goal. Like, for example, Uniswap, you know, the fact that, yeah, it claim you always claim to not being able to be shut down. So you can always use Uniswap. Even the front end is down, there's a all new different kind of front end that you can assess, you know, as long as you know how to. So so for me, all of these are quite interesting uh, innovations. So for L1 per se, I think for Ethereum, it's still quite early to, to say that it has already won the race, you know, like, for example, we have seen Binance Smart Chain just came out from nowhere, you know, suddenly. And now everyone... It's not everyone, but there's a lot of people that are flocking to Binance Smart Chain because it's just the gas fee in Ethereum is just way too high. So if you are, for example, if you're asking a friend today, you know, to try out DeFi project, for every transaction, they have to pay like $10 to up until $100, right? In a single day, who is going to do that? Not much. And how are we supposed to, you know, so-called bring the financial innovation to, to everyone around the world, which is very expensive. So, you know, whether we like it or not, maybe people really doesn't care about decentralization too much. <laughs> Maybe there's a spectrum, you know, the way I see it. So, so even Binance is offering something so cheap right now that, you know, people are willing to accept that, you know, there's a trade-off in it. But, but it's so cheap that they are willing to try it out. And maybe that will bring about much more people into this industry, which I think is a good thing. And, and, and I'm finally glad that, you know, there are much more competition on this. So it's actually forced Ethereum to actually, you know, 
just released the Ethereum 2.0, <laughs> just taking way too long, right? Yeah, and then yeah. the L2 race, even the L2 race has been, we have been talking about it for so long. And even until today, you know, we, we see some project actually migrate, but how many people are using L2? Not much. So, so it, it's for me, it, it's still very, very early on. And, and, but Ethereum is a dominant player today and is, is, but it doesn't guarantee that, you know, it will stay dominant. You know, we, we all know the story about MySpace and Facebook, you know, the Yahoo and Google and even, and even the Nokia and Apple after that, right? Like they used to be dominant, you know, like, so, so I think the fact that Ethereum have to be very vigilant about, you know, the upcoming competitor. So I think a lot, a lot of ecosystem has been taking up recently, for example, like Terra, the Terra ecosystem and even the Solana ecosystem by the SBF, by the FTX founder. Yeah, so all of these are very interesting dynamic. From the way I see it, it has a very healthy competition going on, which is which is good for innovation, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, I think there are there are a few things, right, that I, I personally find... Uh, the, the, I'm personally watching right now. I mean, BTC as a store of value, uh, as a entry point for institutional investors. Um, I think people don't realize this enough. Um, BTC is the biggest uh, playground for institutional investors, right? Uh, because everything else is just not even big enough, right? Um, it's just not, you're not on the radar of, uh, of, of somebody who's running a 10 billion, a 20 billion, whatever the, the, the amount of money is, right? BTC is the only place to go. And the narrative there is very strong, right? So value, limited supply, right? I think that's very key. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's um, if it takes you, 10 minutes to talk to talk me through about a monetary supply uh, monetary policy of, of a coin you lost me right you, you have to catch me in 10 seconds bdc limited digital gold right store value that narrative is, i don't think anything will come close to that but what is interesting to me is that you know back in 2017 people measured uh, every other trading pairs in in bdc right and then maybe eth a little bit bdc was still dominant but now the dominant pair will be in ust Right, some sort of digital version of USD dollar, right? And you know, ETH as a uh, what I find to be very interesting about what you said, you know, um, Alchemix, Alchemix, a lot of these protocols, uh, you know, stable coins will be will be used, right? More and more will be used. Um, it's easier to use, right? Uh, it's easier to think about. We are familiar with that, right? Like you know, we don't measure things in ETH. Let's be honest about it, right? We measure things in USD, and. All of these protocols that are minting st stablecoin uh, from ETH, you know, it is one thing that recently sort of like you know piqued my interest, right? Because I, I ETH as a transaction layer, you know, it's very expensive. So I'm thinking, you know, and 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 I'm, I'm seeing this right. Like if you're a newcomer in the space, you're not going to transact on Ethereum. You're gonna go to BSC. It's just that simple, right? Binance as the biggest uh, exchange in the world. They have tons of user base there, right? You can lock them in with BSC. And BSC, of course, right? On that chain, what is a native asset? Is it BNB? If you if if you use BNB, now BNB, like, I don't know too many stable coins that are minted from BNB, right? So as so, what value does BNB have? I don't know, right? But ETH, I'm seeing more and more of this, especially of these uh, algorithmic stable coins, right? Minting from ETH, and also you drew 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 um, attention to Terra, and Terra is 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 literally, I would say. You know, it, it, Terra came after ETH, and because of its native USD, right, in design, stablecoin design, right, US um, Terra or Nuna, the token, is 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 tightly, uh, you know, locked into the the usage of UST on that particular L1, right, uh, which is much faster than ETH and much cheaper, right, and so you know, I'm seeing this interesting dynamic between 
you know, the use of stablecoin and what would that mean for the uh, native dominant asset on that chain, right? For for on Ethereum, it's ETH. Um, but on other chains, you know, I'm seeing, you know, if we talk about Terra, uh, you know, that's Nuna, right? But also I mean, on, on, on other chains like BSC or, or you know, um, Sonana, I don't know what that is currently, right? I mean, one of the things I'm watching closely is that when Thor chain comes online, right? When you can swap BTC with, with ETH with a bunch of assets atomically, right? Uh, there's, there's no uh, lockup things going on, right? You can just press a button. When Thorchain comes online, uh, you know, when BTC can be on any other chain, the asset can be, the value can be transferred, and then um, you have zero uh, risk compared to, let's say, REM BTC or WBTC. You don't have the hassle of timing, right? Like waiting time. That is when I'm studying, I, I would love to see how how BTC will be used as a funding funding sort of asset, right? Uh, for any other thing. It's like uh, what Michael Saylor said, right? Like if you, if you have BTC, if you sell it, you get taxed, right? So if you have BTC, if you take out a low yielding position, maybe you're paying 2% or 1% a year on your BTC to borrow and you minting stable coin on that, right? That is that that, that is like huge, huge, um, I think, market, right? Like, I mean, I think recently he tweeted, you know, like the L2 for BTC is something like, you know, PayPal, right? Or, or Venmo or Cash. Right. As soon as people can convert that straight into you know USDT or USD, the digital format, then then that'll be uh, you know that'll be a, a huge market that's currently even not available. All right for for BTC. So so that's something I'm watching. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Personally, I I'm still very bullish on BTC. Yeah, and 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 the fact that like like you say, you know, yeah, that there's a very interesting thing. To, to know is that is that you know BTC is aiming to be the reserve asset you know like a lot of people doesn't understand like how M one or M zero you know the the money how how does that works and like you say you know we might see a future where you know the stable coins are actually minted you know with BTC based on it and I, I'm looking forward to see Tor Chain finally going live and how the Cosmos ecosystem or even Polkadot coming alive you know like it's a multi chain future right yeah yeah but but still yeah yeah it's it's a bit. Yeah, it's still very early to say how all of this will will, will going on. And and regarding regarding the stablecoin, you know, there was a news about recently the politician in in the US has basically passed, uh, not passed. They are discussing about the stable act. Mm -hmm. So meaning, uh, anyone that minted USD will fall under the regulation. So so I think a lot of people doesn't. We are being too comfortable now in the DeFi world. You know, in, in the fact that the government has not. Uh, giving much action on it, right? We don't see any government actually, you know, issuing a warning or actually trying to tax us or even trying to regulate the industry. But I think when we get big enough, you know, this will be the main main issue. Like, how are the governments supposed to act on this, right? Like, you have so many USD token on chain, right? Then are they are they are they you know fall under the same jurisdiction as the US government? You know, like that. That's a very thorny issue. So, like like you say, we are still much more comfortable, you know, by using. USD, but I foresee a future, you know, there's a small possibility that we might be using something called, you know, the, the other stable asset that is actually not tagged to USD, like something like Rye. Yeah, I mean, it, it's still very hard to imagine that, but I think, yeah, there's a future where we might not want anything to do with the US government, in a sense, you know, that, that's our ethos in the first place, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very contradictory situation right now, but yeah, <laughs> but I find it interesting that it plays out this way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, I think I think we we we've gone long enough. Uh, let's uh let's get you back on another time. Uh, and uh, see how the uh, insurance space turns out. And uh, thank you for your time today, Lucius.